Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Man, I'm just so grateful to be here and, and really be home because this is a home away from home for us. And uh, man, God's on the move. I, lo- I love what Pastor Jordan read in the creed. It says, I believe in the church. I believe in the church. A lot of people are talking bad about God's bride. I believe in the church. I believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe God is raising up his church for such a time as this. And I want to let you know, you are the church. The church is not buildings. The church is not ideas. The church is people. In in 1 Corinthians 12, the image that Paul gives us of the church is the body. And that each and every one of us, each and every one of you, we are individual members of that body. And that God has placed us, and not only that, he has gifted us. When we receive Jesus, we also receive the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit gives us? He gives us gifts. And as the world gets darker, I believe that we not only need a church, but we need a church that knows how to step and operate in the gifts that God has given us. God has given you gifts. Gifts of prophecy, the gifts, gift of tongues, the gifts of word of knowledge, the gift of healing. God wants to heal today. Why? Because wherever there is sickness, I believe Jesus wants to bring healing. And maybe you need a healing today. I want to let you know that that healing is available to you in Jesus. Let me share a quick testimony. I didn't share this last service. We have a friend who has been battling stage four cancer. She's gone through all the treatments And the cancer was still there. She needed a miracle. So we prayed. When you pray, things happen. We prayed for her. She went back to the doctor, said, we don't know how this happened. We don't, this this is a miracle. You don't have any more cancer in your body. I believe God is healing today. More than ever, we need the gifts. In times like this, we need a church that is empowered and steps out in boldness. So he likens us to the body. Each of you are a different member of the body. And he says, hey, maybe you're the hand, maybe you're the eyes, maybe you're the foot. I don't care where you are. You are important. If we were all the eyes, the body wouldn't work well. You need every part of the body. Let me say this to someone. Stop comparing yourself to other parts of the body. God has placed you and gifted you uniquely. You have a part to play. But to play the part, You have to be connected. Can't just be an attender. No, we're we're a part of this. This is a part of me. It's not that they're the church. It's not that this is the church. I am the church. Because if you take my hand off, it's going to (laughs) die. It's it's not going to work there on the ground. You need it connected to the body. God's best for your life is connected to the body. God's purpose for your life is connected to the body. Whatever you might face, whatever you're going through, stay connected to the body. And then right after chapter 12, Paul begins to talk about love. It's one of the most famous chapters in the body. What is he saying? If we are the body, love is the heartbeat of the body. Love is the lifeblood of everything that we do. If you are a follower of Jesus, we cannot do anything apart from love. I believe that love is the most powerful 
force in all of the universe. And I believe the love of Jesus can change someone's life forever. And that's why I'm excited today to talk about the pathway of love because the love of Jesus has changed my life. And I believe today it can change your life forever. So what I want to do, I want to read this whole passage. I'm going to read the whole chapter, this whole exposition on love that Paul teaches in Corinthians. It actually starts at the end of chapter 12, chapter 12 in verse 31, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 13. And so I'm going to read from my paper Bible, any paper Bibles in the room. Let's take it old school. I love it. Hey, if you don't have a paper Bible, that's okay though. You can read it on your phone. It still counts. And if you don't have it on your phone, you could read it on the screens with me. And I want to encourage you, as I read this, don't just listen here. Lean in. Let it go to your soul. Read it as if God is speaking directly to you today. Because I believe his word is going to come alive. It says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 31. It says, but earnestly desire the gifts. And I will still show you a more excellent way. God wants to show us a more excellent way. Some translations say, I will show you a higher way. God is calling his church up. When the world goes down, I believe that is a time when the church goes up. When things get darker, that's when we get brighter. And so I will show you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? It is the way of love. So he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what is he saying? In everything you do, make sure you do it in love. Because you can do everything, and if you don't have love, it's actually for nothing. We're in the center of everything we do as believers, make sure that love is there. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Let me pause right there. What he is saying is that love will last forever, but one day each and every one of us will see Jesus face to face. When we die, we will pass into eternity or Jesus will return and make all that is wrong right. And what he's saying, then and only then, we won't need the gifts. We won't need healing when we see Jesus face to face. Why? Because we will be fully healed. We won't need prophecy because we will know fully. Is that time now? No. 
So we need the gifts. But a time is coming when all that is broken will be healed through the power of Jesus. That is our hope. That is our determination. That one day we will stand before Jesus face to face. And all that is wrong will be made right. It says this. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm going to end with chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Run after it. Chase after it with everything that you've got. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Can we say amen to that? One of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Love is not optional. Love is required. In everything we do, we are called to a greater path, a greater way. When the world says hate, God is calling us to love. When the, when the world says, you, do, you hold on to that resentment, that person did you wrong, God says there's a higher way. And I believe today he is calling us up. Church, he is calling us up. You see, one of the major misconceptions though, when we read this chapter, is we place our own cultural definitions of love on the word love that Paul is using. This is dangerous because the world loves to use the word love, but oftentimes they have a completely counter definition to the word that is being used here in the Bible and in scripture. They're not the same thing. It's, it's as if I would say to my wife, I love you. But then later after church, I go to McDonald's, get a 10 count chicken nugget meal. I eat it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know you've been there. Don't act like you're too spiritual. We have all eaten at McDonald's. Okay, if I say I love a meal, and then I tell my wife I love her, is that the same word? No. Well, it is the same, but it doesn't mean the same thing. The world has such a surface level view of love. Love is based on what I feel. Love is based on what I can get. We watch shows like Love is Blind. That is not love. That's lust. It's nasty. Stop watching it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it couldn't be further from love. And the danger is if we apply our cultural definition to this passage, we miss the power of what Paul is saying. We miss the power of what scripture is calling us to. This isn't chicken nugget type of love. This is a greater love. So let me help you understand the definition of love that he is using. Because in the Greek, there is four words used for love. Let me tell you three of them. The first is eros, which is sexual love, desire. When you say you desire something, use that word love. That's one of the definitions. The other is philo, which is used in the, the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That is a love you have in friendship. Like, I love you. We're together. We're in this. Another Greek word is storge, which is a family type of love. Like, you love your family. Those are three words that are used for love in the Greek. None of those words are the words is the word that Paul is using for love. It's not a cultural definition of love. The word that Paul is using is this word agape. This is the most powerful form of love. This is the type of love that you were created for. 
Maybe you've been searching your whole life trying to find love in people, in processes, in things. I want to let you know this love can only be found in the one who created you. It is that agape love. Let me give you a definition for agape love. It's this. It is an all-in, unrelenting love. It is the highest love. It is the highest form of love. There is no greater love than this. This is the agape love that you were created for. This is the type of love that only God can give us. This is the type of love that is the pathway to the higher way. This is the type of love that Paul is talking about in this. The highest form of love. Even with definitions though, it's sometimes hard to grasp what this love means. So let me give you three things that framework, a biblical framework for this love. First thing is this, a characteristic of this agape love is agape is for everyone. Agape love is for everyone. Even you, even me, even your neighbor, even that coworker who really, 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 really bothers you. even for those who hurt you. Agape love is for everyone. Why, what does it say in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world. Before you believe, before you put your trust in him, God so loved the world. Even those who are so far from God, God still wants them to experience his love. Because we were not created for sin. We were not created for evil, but sin has infected all of humanity and pulls us away from the thing we were created for, which is the love of God. But God, loving us so much, deeply desires to show us that love. And, and, and Paul says, pursue love. I want to let you know, love has been pursuing you. Every single one of you. Love has been pursuing you. And you were created for this love. Love is for everyone. Agape is for everyone. You're like, well, I hear what you're saying, but you do not know what I've done. You don't, you don't know the sins that I've committed. Maybe it's your first time in church. Here's what the Bible says. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He initiates. He says, hey, while you are still broken, I'm going to show you who you truly are what you were truly created for, this love that is higher and greater than anything else, this love is for you. The second characteristic is agape lasts forever. It has no beginning and it has no end. Why? Because God is love. It lasts forever. Some of you, you've built your life on a temporary love. A feeling, and that's been your definition of love. That's not what God is talking about here. This is a love that existed before you were born, that knit you in your mother's womb, that knew your name before your parents gave you your name, that knows how many hairs you have on your head, and he loves you so deeply. And I want to let you know, this love will not end with you. This love will last for eternity. So if you feel like it's all over, I want to let you know it's not. Why? Because agape doesn't end. If you feel like you've come to the end of your road 
You're at the pit and you're not going to get out. I want to let you know you can keep moving forward because agape is before you. Love is before you. Love will last forever. Keep pursuing love. Keep chasing after that love. Even if all you can do is crawl or take one step at a time, it's our hope, it's our promise. It doesn't end with us, it lasts forever. And here's what I know, absolutely nothing, nothing can separate you from this love. Some of you think this is transactional because you made a mistake that God no longer loves you. That couldn't be further from the truth because agape doesn't end. It doesn't stop. We can walk away from it, but it's still there. What does Romans 8 say? It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing can. Love is forever. Number three, last characteristic, is agape is a person. Agape is a person. If you want to know what love looks like, look to Jesus. Jordan, I'm going to pause right here. The countdown went off the screen, and I might talk till forever. If it... Okay, you got to give me the signals, like the bad. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I know we have a service after this. Thank you. It says no signal. Okay. Agape is a person. If you want to know what love looks like, open up your Bible to the Gospels. Look to the person of Jesus. He is the perfect embodiment of the love of the Father. Jesus is fully love. And he loves you fully. Agape, I love this because you could take chapter 13, take any time it says love, replace it with the name of Jesus, it works perfectly. Love is patient. Love is kind. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of love. You can even apply it to, if I have faith to move mountains, but have not Jesus... It is for nothing. If I preach on this stage and Jesus is not the sinner, it's for nothing. If I go to church and lift my hands and Jesus is not at the center, it is for nothing. Why? Because Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the higher way. He's the narrow path. Jesus is love. And if you want love, come to Jesus. Don't go to a program. Don't go to a group. Don't go to, don't go to an idea. Go to the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is love. 1 John 4, 9 says this. In this love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. So that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved, but that God has loved us. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I love this. Not that we love first. But because God loved us first, he sent his son to be a propitiation. What is that? It's a theological word that means that Jesus paid the price for us. We deserve separation from God. We deserve death, hell, and the grave. But Jesus, loving us so much, died on the cross for our sins. Why? Because love is a person. 
It's not a feeling. Love is sacrifice. The greatest act of love was the cross because it was the greatest sacrifice. That's what love is. It's not just a feeling. And I'm a youth pastor. I hear young boys, junior high boys are like, Pastor Jude, I, ju I just love her. No, bro. That's butterflies. That's not love. Love is sacrifice. That, that's, not, that's a feeling. Love transcends feeling. Love is sacrifice. And Jesus modeled love perfectly for us. Love is a person. And if we accept that love, we are now followers of Jesus. And because we've experienced that love, now we have a responsibility. You're a part of the body now. You're a member. You're a part of the church. And what is Jesus tells us? He commands us that we now have to love. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Whew. So now that you've experienced the love in the person of Jesus, he's telling us now we have to love each other. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because I like the idea of love. But when you actually have to love people, like, God, I love you. I could follow you perfectly, but all these people in my life, it's so difficult. <laughs> Your beliefs are made manifest in what you do and how you love people. So now Jesus gives us this command. Not a suggestion, a command. You're like, I don't live under the law. I live under grace. Well, Jesus gave us a greater law. It is the law of liberty. And he, what is that law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? It's the person sitting right next to you. It's the person who lives right next to you. We love to choose our neighbors online. Like, these are my neighbors. No, your neighbor, you don't choose. You live right next to them. Can you love them? They're often the hardest people to love, the people who are closest to you. But if we can't love them, we're actually not following God's commandment. So he does give us a greater command. He does give us a greater law. How do we do this? How do we do this? Because it seems impossible. I want to give you two things practically that can help you take this higher path, this more excellent way, this life of love. The first is this. You must experience love firsthand. Cannot be a secondhand experience. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If I try to describe to you a meal, you're just not going to get it. If I try to describe to you a color, it's impossible. But when you see it, you understand it. When you taste it, you experience. It's the same with the love of God. If the love of God has only ever been spoken to you from a stage, I want to let you know you are missing out. You need to experience it firsthand. If you're only here because your parents made you come here, you are missing out. You need to experience it firsthand. Have you experienced the love of Jesus firsthand? Because Paul, he's not just writing about ideas. He's writing about a firsthand experience he had with Jesus. Before he was ever named Paul, he actually had a different name. It was Saul. Before he was known as an apostle, before he was known for writing the majority of the New Testament and frameworking how we understand Christianity today, you want to know what he was known for? Persecuting Christians. He was so passionate about 
the scriptures and the Torah, that any time he saw a believer of Jesus, it says he burned with zeal. He was known for his zeal. It was religiosity without love. It was zeal without love. And what did it lead to? Destruction. So he would seek out followers of Jesus. He had the court authority to rip them from their homes, throw them in prison, and even, in some instances, put them to death. This is what he was known for. And so Saul was on, his, on the road to Damascus. He was traveling. He was on his donkey just riding on the road to Damascus. What was his intent? He was on his way to Damascus to seek out believers, rip them from their homes, throw them in jail, and even put them to death. That is what his identity was wrapped in. That is what his intention was, and that is where he was headed. He's on the road, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who is it that I am persecuting? And he said, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And in that moment, such a blinding light. He actually went blind, was knocked off his donkey, and his life was transformed forever. Why? Because he had a face-to-face -face experience with Jesus. It completely transformed his identity. It completely transformed his purpose, his value, his motivation. One moment one encounter with the love of Jesus can transform your life forever. You could be headed one way to destruction, and when you encounter Jesus, he gives you a full 180, and you're headed to life in freedom and hope. Have you experienced that love? Because the love of God can change you forever. And the greatest act of love is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So here's what I want to ask you individually. Have you been to the foot of the cross? Have you looked at the face of a savior, looked into the eyes of love and received that love directly from Jesus? Because here's what happens at the cross. There is a great exchange that happens. When we come to the foot of the cross, we lay down all our brokenness, all our hurt, all our pain, all the things that we have found identity and value in. We give it to Jesus. To receive the love of God, he requires one thing, and that is complete surrender and an act of faith. Saying, God, I trust you, not just with my words, but with my life. And we go to the foot of the cross, and we receive a love that has changed us forever. Have you experienced that love firsthand? Have you experienced the love of a Savior on the cross? Because if not, I want to let you know it'll change your life forever. And some of you, you raise your hand to pray that prayer. I want to let you know you've stepped into that agape love. You were one way walking into this building and you're gonna leave a completely different way. Why? Because when you encounter the love of Jesus, you cannot stay the same. It is the most powerful force in the world. You must experience it firsthand. One of the greatest titles that we can hold as believers is the beloved. Title of, I have been loved. I love what it says about Jesus when he was baptized. The father says, this is my beloved son. When he was transfigured, God spoke in, this is my beloved son. Identity. Do you know that you are the beloved? 
You're not the outcast. You're no longer known as a sinner. You're no longer known for your shame and your guilt and the mistakes you made. You think you had mistakes. Look at Saul who turned to Paul. Some of you right now are even like, man, if God actually knew me, he wouldn't love me. That is a lie. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. One day we will fully know as we have been fully known. God already fully knows you. Not, not just what you've done in public and in secret. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions. And he still loves you. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, he calls you the beloved. No matter what lie has been spoken over you, that is a greater truth. Maybe your father walked out of your life and you feel worthless. I want to let you know that you are the beloved. Maybe a teacher at school called you dumb and that stuck with you for 30 years. That's not true. You are the beloved. You are the beloved. Why? Because Jesus loved us so much that he gave his only son. He gave his life on the cross so that we could become the beloved. You got to experience it firsthand. Second, this love must be lived out. This type of love requires action. Culture loves the idea of love. We love to type about love, post about love, talk about love. This love is not found in talk, but it is found in action. And maybe you haven't experienced the fullness of God's love for your life because it's only ever existed as an idea and it's never been lived out. 1 John 4, 11 through 12 says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. The Spirit of God lives in us. And his love is perfected in us. We love because he first loved us. I love that. When we choose to love one another, his love is perfected in us. We go to new levels of God's love when we pour out love. Some of us, we look at love as something we need to ration off and we can't give enough of it because we'll run out. No, the more love you give, the more love you will get from the Father. As we give, as we pour out, God fills us up and perfects his love on the inside of us. Love requires action. Pastor Jordan understands this. That's why he started We Heart Lives. Because he sees the brokenness in the cities around us, those who are in need. And if we've experienced the love of God, we cannot just stand by. We have to take action. Why? Because we've been loved greatly, so we must love greatly. Take responsibility for your workplace, for your home. Because love requires action. That's why I love this church. We don't just talk about it. We live it. We are about it. Love requires action. Jesus said this to his disciples. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't just love your friends. Don't just love those who have done you wrong. We love our enemies. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? Those who nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Love will give you the power to forgive. Love will give you the power to heal. Love is greater than hate. Love is greater than prejudice. 
Love is the most powerful force in all the universe. And as believers of the body of Christ, we have to choose to love even our enemies. Once again, Paul is not writing about this just from, oh, this is a good thought. He's writing about this from experience. He experienced the love of a fellow believer at a time when he did not deserve it whatsoever. Remember, he was Saul on the way to Damascus with the intent going there to kill, persecute, throw in jail Christians. He has an experience with Jesus. Goes blind. Goes to Damascus and as he goes there, Jesus shows up to another believer named Ananias. And he says, Ananias, here's what I want you to do. There's a guy named Saul here. He's blind. I need you to go and find him. Pray for him so that he may regain his sight. Ananias' response is great. He's like, God, are you sure about that? I've heard about Saul. I've heard about what he's done. Here's what you have to understand. Ananias probably knew believers that were put to death under the order of Saul. He said, God, are you sure about that? God says, yes, I am. Go and find him. So Ananias goes and he finds Saul. I want to read this, verse 17. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off of his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized. You have to see what happened here. Ananias, follower of Jesus, Saul, who only shortly before was on his way to probably kill Ananias. And Ananias knew that. Man, if that was me, God told me to pray for Saul, I would have been like this. Jesus, heal him, Bye. and I would have ran out. I'm sorry, I would have obeyed, but I wouldn't have liked to do it. It's my enemy. Do you know what he did to my family and friends and was going to do to me? What does Ananias do? He says, brother Saul. He did not have to call him brother but Ananias understood the command of Jesus where Jesus said, love your enemies. Ananias understood that at one point he was an enemy of Jesus, but God loving him so much poured out his love on the cross. Why? So that he could love in action. He says, brother Saul, this is the gifts expressing themselves in love. Not just praying for healing and running away. Brother Saul prays for him. Immediately he was healed. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This type of love can change the world. This is the type of love that we need to show each other as the body. They will know we are Christians by the way that we love one another. Can we do what Ananias did? Because Jesus did it for us. Can we show love to our enemies? Because when you express the gifts in love, it has the power to change someone's life. I've experienced it so many times where I've experienced not just the idea of love, but the action of love through fellow believers. Man, I remember at one point we had moved from Ventura all the way up to Vacaville, which is six hours away. I moved from my family for the first time away from my family. God had called us to a new city, serving a new church. I obeyed God, but I was alone. I was down. I was like, God, are you really? No friends. 
isolated, questioning God. I remember I was at the grocery store and I had my son, Jack. He was six months old at the time and I was walking out and I ran into this guy. I didn't know him, but his name was Bill Holland. Little did I know he was an intercessor at the church. He said to me, are you Jude? And I said, yeah, I'm Jude. Then he looked at Jack and he said, is this Jack? And I'm like, yeah, this is him. And he said to Jack, I've been praying for you since before you were born. Man, that's love in action. Little did he know how lonely I felt. But if in, in that one act of love, my whole atmosphere was changed in my life. I went in my car and I began to cry and say, thank you, God, you see me. A few weeks later, I received a prophetic word that changed the atmosphere of my soul. The gifts expressing themselves in love. This is what we should be doing as the body of Christ. Showing love in action. Why? Because we have been loved greatly. And the only way we can do this is by experiencing and living it out through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that lived on the inside of Jesus now lives on the inside of me. Why? So that I can love. It's time we as a church take that higher way, that more excellent way. When everyone else says, hate, be angry. No, don't do that. We choose to love. Why? Because just like Paul said, pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. Choose the one thing and everything else will fall into order. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.